Welcome, everyone. I'm so glad to see you here, uh, especially those of you who are visitors, uh, specifically for the candidates who are baptized this morning. We welcome you. Let's uh, prepare our hearts to uh, hear God's word by coming to Him in prayer. Father, we thank you again for this day, a day you have made that we can rejoice and be glad. And thank you, Lord, for uh, these candidates, three children and uh, one adult who are baptized. And I pray that uh, as they have received your grace, as we listen to a story of your scandalous grace, that, Lord, our hearts may be opened. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I'm going to preach from the gospel reading, and it's a familiar story for those of us who've grown up in the church. If you've grown up in Sunday school, you've heard the story of Zacchaeus many, many times about a short man. So I'm going to tell you a short story, because otherwise you may give me short shrift, because you've heard it too many times, and short of ending the sermon now, you know, I'm going to keep everything short and sharp. <laughs> uh, but you know the story of Zacchaeus. And I don't know, Sunday school depictions are always uh, quite cute. You see him up in the tree, a cute <laughs> cartoon character. This is a book which is written about Zacchaeus, and there's nothing threatening about him <laughs> if you look at this illustration. But if you look into the passage, the Bible tells us that this man named Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. And uh, last week, uh, Pastor Evangeline did a wonderful job of trying to give us an idea of what tax collectors were like in Jesus' day. You know, in our day, we think chief tax collector, oh, director of IRAS, what's the problem, you know, civil servant. <laughs> but uh, as uh, um, she used that uh, uh, sort of humorous illustration of uh, taxing the Tao Swan coming to church, you know, I thought about it again and I say, even that, sometimes hard for us to connect. What would be an equivalent in our day and age? Well, I think all of you have seen uh, the news about scams, and I hope you are looking out for scams. You know, the other day my son got an SMS about a parcel he was supposed to be expecting, and they couldn't deliver, and there was a link, and he was asking me, because I happened to be home, did the parcel arrive? And he showed me the thing, and I said, no, but look at this, this is a scam, please don't click on the link. <laughs> so all these scams are rife, rampant. So as I thought about it, Zacchaeus is probably the chief scammer. I know they've made some arrests, but I think if you look carefully, these people are like low on the totem pole, right? The kakia. They use their names, ICs, and they are the ones who got caught. I think the mastermind is still at large. And in my mind, Zacchaeus is the chief scammer. He's the mastermind who cheats widows and uh, old ladies of their life savings. Right uh, and, and have wiped out things. So he's not lovable or cute. He's not, a, uh, in my mind, what used to be like a little Danny DeVito, you know, very lovable, rascal sort of uh, character. That's nothing like it. And to make matters worse, if you translate his name, Zacchaeus, it actually translates to righteous one. Zacchaeus could not be further from the truth. And as uh, Evangeline pointed out, you know, not only was he a uh, crook, he was a very successful crook because it says he was rich. I don't know if you've read this many times and it's ever struck you that Jesus uh, came to Zacchaeus 
And Zacchaeus actually was totally unrepentant. If you read the story carefully, you will see. It says, it carries on verse 3, he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not. And because he was small in stature, he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. In other words, all Zacchaeus was wanting to do is see what is the commotion about this man, Jesus. You know, he's a celebrity. Last week, we were in Bangkok uh, for conference. And because conference was about two hours away from Bangkok, the busing situation wasn't quite well coordinated uh, I thought I booked a flight that would allow me to stay right to the end, but in, in the end, the only bus available was early in the morning that would bring me to the Bangkok airport. So we ended up spending five hours in the airport waiting for our flight. And so I nothing to do, right? You just walk up and down, up and down. And I came upon suddenly a crowd of young Thai girls who had all their phones out and were waiting for... Uh, uh, obviously some kind of celebrity. I, I guess maybe some K-pop star or something of that nature because I looked and they were mostly young ladies. But there was this big-sized guy also down there just craning his neck, trying to see what in the world is going on. And I kind of imagine, I mean, obviously Zacchaeus was not a big man, but he's something like that. Not really a fan, not really interested in Jesus particularly, but he's heard about him. And he thought to himself, ah, I can climb the tree, I can see, and you know, he'll just pass by. He had no intention of meeting Jesus, i.e., I don't think he really felt Jesus would want to see him. And he wasn't ready uh, to you know, do anything about what he was doing or what his profession was. But look at this. In verse 5, it carries on. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Zacchaeus was just a tourist in a sense. Curiosity was what he was looking for. But Jesus was the one who was really looking for him. That he was the one that was seeking out Zacchaeus because it says there, he said, I must stay at your house today. That this was uppermost in his mind. He was looking out for Zacchaeus and he was coming to meet Zacchaeus where he's at. But let's look at what happens. What's the result of it? So obviously Zacchaeus was happy. He hurried, came down, received him joyfully and when uh, people saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone to be guest of a man who is a sinner. You know, and uh, I think it's human nature, right? You would think, how does he deserve this audience? Right, this guy is such a crook and a rascal. How can he, uh, um, you know, be the one to entertain this servant of God? Surely, the people who deserve to have uh, Jesus's presence would be the most righteous people, the people who are most religious, the people who are most uh, uh, worthy of an audience with someone as powerful and as, as famous as Jesus was. But look at see what happened to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus as a result of this encounter with Jesus, he stood before him and said, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Zacchaeus didn't set out to repent, but in his encounter with Jesus, in 
experiencing the grace of God through Jesus' unconditional acceptance of Him and willingness to sit with Him and to talk with Him, there was a life transformed. Love births goodness. Right? And we, we see... How Zacchaeus last week, um, um, Evangeline talked about how being a tax collector, you ultimately break the law of God. From a lawbreaker, he becomes a law keeper. You, you know, you ask, why is he giving fourfold? If you look into the law of Leviticus, it says that if you have cheated someone or something, or you've you know, um, had wrongful gains, you're supposed to, if you cannot restore what you had uh, uh, given originally, you have to give fourfold of what was originally taken. You know, that's the penalty, that's the, the keeping of the law. And here was Zacchaeus willing to keep the law, even though he had spent probably his entire life breaking the law. And, you know, from being a small man, he suddenly become a big man because there is no, nothing in the law that says, you know, if you've done bad, that you have to give to the poor. But there was this great desire to help those who are less fortunate. You know, instead of taking advantage of those uh, and, you know, for self-gain, he's giving away all, half of everything that he had. And mind you, he's already restored, <laughs> uh, willing to restore. I think it's practically, he could only give half because the other half he has to restore the people he's cheated. And, and of course, I'm reading into the text. But what is important is that one we see here is a person who was once lost, who is now found. You stop and you think about it. It's true of many of us that oftentimes, you know, our self-worth is uh, measured by our net worth. It's, it's not uncommon, you know, that uh, people find that um, um, their success in life, and I should use the term success quite broadly because it may not be material success. Maybe it's uh, a career success. Maybe it's success academically. Maybe it's a, your success as a parent, success as a, a, a good um, husband or a family member, or you know, you just go ahead and list all those things to which you look to to measure your worth, to say that I am enough. Um, you know, oftentimes I'm on YouTube and uh, looking for. Um, either uh, uh, teachings or, or things like that, and I get distracted, right? So sometimes videos pop up on YouTube. The other day, this video popped up of uh, Jim Carrey, you know, the comedian. And it, I think he was in a, an awards show. I don't know what awards show. I didn't know the context because it's just an excerpt. But he's standing there, and he's trying to make light of, of things, but he looks semi-serious, and the more serious he is, the more you want to laugh at him. <laughs> and he stands up and he says, I am Jim Carrey. Two-time uh, Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey, you know, and uh, I tell you, at night, sometimes I cannot sleep. What keeps me up at night is I ask myself the question: Is when am I going to be three-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey? Because after I've won three Golden Globes, I will be enough. And of course, you know, all these fellow actors are all laughing. And they all know it's a joke because the reality is that attaining accolades, attaining you know, these goals in life, at the end of the day, after you've got them, you realize it's never enough. You will never find your enoughness in that. 
Now, I'm not saying we don't pursue these things because these things are good, right? Becoming a good father, becoming a good husband, becoming a a good worker, or um, finding advancement in career, all these are good things. But Pastor Tim Keller points out, you know, if we take good things and we make them ultimate things, they become idols in our life. What ought to be a, a, a good uh, a tool or a, what is meant to be a good servant actually becomes an awful master. Because these things, when you make them idols in your life, when you make them ultimate in your life, these things consume your life. That the pursuit after these things, ultimately you realize you, know, you can never satisfy. And how many lives have been shipwrecked on you know, such things. And that's why Jesus came. He says to all who, uh, to Zacchaeus, but also I guess all those who were gathered there and witnessed it, his disciples especially, today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. I remember, you know, early on when I started in ministry, there was a trend in which um, there were seeker-sensitive churches. Idea being that, you know, let's make our churches sensitive to those who are seeking Jesus. Uh, Those who are still outside the church, make everything seeker. But, you know, if you look carefully at Scripture, the true seeker is God himself. That he seeks us out, even when we may be far from him. That this is the God whom we love and this is the God whom we worship as Christians. Let me end by sharing um, something I came across on social media. Uh, A wonderful uh, Bible teacher, New Testament professor, just passed away this week. In fact, he was our brother, we sing's uh, New Testament professor from Regent, uh, Professor Gordon Fee. I'm I've never sat under his uh, teaching, but I've certainly learned a lot from him. You know, two books he wrote were very um, um, helpful to me. One was How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth when I was starting out, you know, learning how to rightly expound the Word of God. It was a, a wonderful resource. But then also God's empowering presence, you know, looking into the New Testament text and talking about how uh, the, the, the work of the Holy Spirit that God sends to us has been a powerful influence. But a friend of mine was posting something and, you know, um, um, reproduced, uh, 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 I'm not sure what the source is, but it's uh, obviously something that uh, Gordon Fee had taught in one of his lectures. And he was uh, speaking actually about 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He had written, he has written a wonderful, had written a wonderful commentary on the first letter to the Corinthians. And all of us, I think, those of us who are Christian know 1 Corinthians 13, where it talks about love, right? And he was uh, writing his commentary, and he came to that verse which said, uh, and I, let me read verbatim from him. I remember the morning when I came to this passage. Love is patient, love is kind. It's actually a verb. Love does patience, or better yet, the King James says, love suffers long. Patience is what you show when your computer doesn't work. Long-suffering is what you show when people don't work. And you've been around them a long, long time. That's what it means to suffer long. 
And I looked at those words and then realized that Paul was here describing God's character. Those are exactly the words he uses of God back in Romans chapter 2. Then it dawned on me, the first, long-suffering is the passive side of his love. The other, kindness, or in uh, Romans it's translated goodness, it's the same word in the Greek, uh, kind and, and good, it's the same root, is the active side of his love. Then I started to cry for a long time. It took me a long time to return to my computer. What if God was not like this towards us? Where would we be? And, you know, he was overcome by gratitude in recognizing the long-suffering nature of God, his patience with us, but also his kindness, his goodness towards us. God's goodness, you know, is his active love towards us. And I believe that, you know, all of us at some point or other have experienced or will experience his goodness. Um, there's a song which yesterday they were singing in the um, Saturday service, which I alluded to. And it talks about uh, uh, the goodness of God. And there's a line in it which says, you know, goodness runs after me. And um, actually, it's a derivative from the Psalm 23. You all know Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And it, that psalm ends in most English translations in a way which sometimes um, hides the true meaning of what was being said by the psalmist. Because it ends saying, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever, right? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. And when you read that, you know, I don't know what impression or what picture jumps into your mind. I sort of think of, oh, Mary had a little lamb, <laughs> and this lamb would follow you wherever you would go, right? So it's ding, 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 just follow you. When I was doing uh, um, biblical exegesis in the Hebrew, my uh, professor brought up this as an example and was talking about how, uh, you know, sometimes in English translation, we are used to certain ways it's being said. So translators tend to follow the old translations. But if you look carefully and why she was telling us, you know, learn to <laughs> biblical languages, and I did at that point of time, to be honest, I give a lot of it back to her, but <laughs> that's another story altogether. The word follows, which is translated follows, is a word that appears elsewhere in Scripture, but has never been translated as follows in other parts of Scripture. That word is a word radaf. And in other parts of the Old Testament, radaf is translated pursue. About you know someone chasing after someone to try and track them down, and uh, you know a tenacity to make sure that they catch their criminal or this bad person. And so in that verse, if it were to be translated correctly, it would be surely goodness and mercy shall pursue me all the days of my life. The goodness of God runs after us. I end with this passage from the Old Testament. You know, if we think the Old New Testament God is a God of grace, the Old Testament God is the same God. And He too is a God of grace. If you remember the context of this passage, Isaiah was speaking judgment against Sodom and Gomorrah. The, you know, in, in biblical uh, uh, history, it's, they were considered the most evil cities, the most evil people in the Old Testament. And yet, God's grace was being offered to them. 
Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Isaiah was prophesying about what God was about to do in the person of Jesus. That Jesus, who came 2,000 years ago, was God's solution to our sins. The fact of the matter is, you know, all of us have sinned and we fall short of God's glory. And he knew that. And he understood that we cannot save ourselves. That all our attempts to save ourselves will ultimately always fall short. So it's God who had to save us. God who had to look for us. Even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the story of Zacchaeus. That's the story of uh, uh, Isaiah chapter 1. That's the story of God's goodness towards us. As I close this sermon, I want to close with an invitation. Jesus gave an invitation to Zacchaeus and said to him, you know, come, <laughs> I want to have a meal with you. Because, you know, it's, it's a sign of uh, uh, hospitality and wanting to develop a relationship, right? That's what we do here in Singapore. Hey, fear not. Let's go and eat. Right? That's, that's our, our, our way of um, developing relationship and, and building relationship and saying, I, you're important to me. I want to get to know you. Jesus, in the book of Revelation, says this to us. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him, and he with me. I'm not sure where you are in your life, whether you're a religious person or not a religious person, whether you've been uh, a Christian or have ever considered the claims of Christ. The reality is, the Bible tells us, and Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one comes to God except through me. And Jesus understood that. And Jesus came to earth to show us the goodness of God, to show us that God has taken the initiative to invite us into his presence. And today I want to offer you that invitation as well, whoever you may be, whatever your circumstance may be. Jesus is standing at the door of your heart and he's knocking. And he's asking, will you open your door? Will you come in and say yes? Are you willing to have a meal with me? And I believe that as we experience the goodness of God, when we do open that door, his, good, his, his love births goodness in us. That the transformation of life that you have been longing for, you know, the things that you've been doing and you wish you could stop, you cannot stop on your own. We can only stop in the power of Jesus and His Holy Spirit. And that's why this invitation is so important. You've been doing all that you can to turn your life around and you're wondering why is it not working. I believe you are here today, not by accident, because God wants to tell you the solution is me. I'm the one who can turn your life around. And the secret is to inviting me into your heart. So let's just close our eyes, bow our heads, coming to God in prayer. And this invitation is extended to every one of us 
who are here today. Some of you maybe have already experienced the love of God in the past. But unfortunately, it's become somewhat ancient history in your life. Things have happened in between. And you realize you've drifted far away. I believe God is saying to you, surely goodness and mercy pursues you all the days of your life. That there is no sin so great that He cannot forgive. There is no lifestyle that is so bad that He cannot turn around. That the Lord is calling you back to Himself today. Will you receive that invitation? But there may be another category of people, maybe for you, you've never experienced the goodness of God. You Maybe you have heard stories about Jesus, or you've seen friends who are Christians, and in the past, it's never really made sense to you. But today, here, in the hearing of God's Word, something has clicked. I believe that's God pursuing you speaking to you by the Holy Spirit. And I'd like to give, you know, whichever category of person you are today, an opportunity to respond to the invitation. And we're going to do that by praying a prayer. So with every eye closed and every head bowed, you know, so that I know who I'm leading in prayer, I'd ask you, if you're in either category today, you would like to respond to God's invitation to experience His goodness, either for the first time or again, in your life, would you just very quickly raise your hand and then put it back down so that I thank you. Put up your hand so that I know who I'm praying for. It's also an act on your part to say, yes, Lord, I'm opening the door of my heart to you. Is there anyone else? Just put it up and put it back down again. Thank you. Anyone else? I don't want to draw this out unnecessarily. Is there anyone else who would like me to include you in that prayer. For all those who raised their hands and even those maybe who haven't yet but would like to pray this prayer, just pray this prayer uh, in your heart with me. Dear God, merciful, loving and just, I thank you that your goodness pursues us that even while we were enemies that we were far from you you didn't abandon us I am sorry for the kind of life I've lived up to now how I may have ignored you or forgotten you Thank you that you have never left me and that you are calling to me. Thank you for the finished work of Jesus on the cross. That his blood that was shed on the cross washes my sins 
and makes me white as snow again. And I invite you now to send your Holy Spirit into my heart, to give me the power to live and to be the kind of person you intended me to be. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you for your Son, Jesus. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit who has come into me and will dwell with me. These things I ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And